Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartledgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. dead soon that wasn't in my mind for a title for a sermon it was in bill's mind so i just thought i'll let you know that <laughs> but i i thought as soon as he said it it's true isn't it are we going to be dead soon are we going to be dead longer than we are alive yeah most people are dead if if, if time goes on for six thousand eight thousand ten thousand years uh you might only live 50 to 100 years at best and that's it the rest of the time, you'll be dead. So insight into the truth and reality of the afterlife has always been uh, something that mankind has strived to know more about. Look, man has always wanted to know more about the afterlife. In an effort to know about the afterlife, man has created all kinds of religious belief systems, philosophies, and they've always wanted to um, you know, know something about what happens the moment our eyes shut for good. And in a sense, when Jesus Christ came, he came to help us to, to understand that truth in a way uh, that we've never known before. And that's what I want to talk about today. So in James 4.14, if we could turn there. So James 4.14, it says this, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know if our life will go beyond tomorrow. It could be up tomorrow. It might be up in 50 years. It might be up in, for kids, let's hope, you know, 100 years. But we don't know what is going to happen tomorrow. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? There's a question. What is your life? What is it? What are we supposed to uh, discover? What are we supposed to uh, come to grips with, come to terms with in this life? What is this life all about? That should be the cry of our heart. Is it really, as Anthony was pointing out today in his sermon, is it all about making money? Is it all, all, all about, you know, business? Is it all, all about those sort of things? Is it about entertainment? Is that what life's all about? Is that what it amounts to? Eating and drinking? You know, there's got to be more to it. You know, we are incredibly designed creatures, incredibly designed. And a, a, something that is clearly designed always tells us or always implies it has a creator. Amen? So if God is our creator and he created us, do you think he just created us just to have pleasure, just to have fun, just to, you know, make money? And do whatever we want? Or did he create us with a purpose? Did he have not just a purpose for this life, but did he have a grander purpose, something of an eternal nature? And that's, what, that's the sort of questions I started to ask. And, you know, as I became a Christian, I started to ask, you know, what is my purpose? What am I meant to do? What are your purposes? What are you meant to do? 
Because if we really do find out what we're meant to be in this life, it's, it'll lead us to a level of fulfillment that we will find in no other vocation. And you know what? The good thing about this, it doesn't matter whether you're a child or you're an old, old person. There's something God has for you to do and accomplish. And not only that, he will help you to fulfill your purpose here and then as we enter into eternity, he'll give us something even more fulfilling to do in eternity. Who believes that? Amen. So what is your life? What is your life? You are a mist. A mist. We're compared to a mist. Who's seen mist? You know, you go out in the morning on a really cold, frosty morning in England and you blow the air. The mist would hang around a bit longer in England, I think, than here in Australia. The mist hangs around for a few moments here in England, probably a minute. Is it that cold there? All day, just like like a chemtrail. (laughs) Sorry, I just threw that one in. Well, you are a mist that appears for just a little while and then vanishes. And then vanishes. So shouldn't that make us go, wow, is that it? We're just a mist. You know, who knows that now that you're, like I'm, I just turned 46 the other day, and I'm going, where did those 46 years go? It doesn't feel that long ago I was, you know, 18. 18, 20 in the prime of my life. It doesn't feel that long ago. And now I'm 46, I'm going, what? And once you're 46, all that time that you've lived seems irrelevant now. It's gone. We're just hoping how much further have we got? Have we got many more years? And we're just always hoping, Lord, give me good health so I can have a few more good years and keep me from accidents and harm. You know, so we can have... So life is a mist. You know, I remember, you know, seeing my nana, you know, uh, just before she passed away, she was in her 80s, 87 or something, and, or was she 90? 90. And to her, the life she's led is gone. There's, she only knows this moment now, and that was it. You know, she just had nothing but death to look forward to because she was about to die. And of course, in those states, you would be questioning what is the truth? Because certainly this mustn't be it. This mustn't be all that there is. Where do we go from here? If I'm going to die tomorrow, I want to know where am I going to go? And I want to be sure that I'm going to go to the right place. And I'm going to, if I have to, I'm going to look into all the different religions and find out what they believe. And I've done that. I've gone through all the religions, well, not all of them, there's, and there's a lot that I don't have to go into because I know the basis of what they believe. Because once you start studying lots and lots and lots of different religions, you get a sense of what they're actually all about. And I'm going to briefly brief you on those things today too. Let's go to Psalm 39. Psalm 39. And it says in verse 4, Show me... O Lord, my life's end, and the number of my days, let me know how fleeting is my life. Fleeting. Show me my life's end. Let me know how fleeting it is. Why did he want to know that? It's a crazy question. He wanted to understand something about eternity, that there must be more than just this. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. That's a handbreadth from there to there. That's what it seemed like to him because obviously when King David was writing this, he would have been quite old and his life seems like just a handbreadth. It's only, only just happened and it's gone and he's only got a little bit left. 
The span of my years is as nothing before you. Why is he saying that? Because there's an eternal God, a God that never ends, a God that never dies. He was never born and he never dies. He is just always present throughout all eternity. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath, is but a breath. That's all it is. And it's gone. Who knows this is true? You know, just next time you drive past the cemetery, just stop. Get out of your car and look at, walk around the cemetery and just have a look. These were once living and breathing people. And if you go to a, an old cemetery everywhere, you look as far as you can see, tombstones, tombstones, just everywhere, everywhere. There's been a lot of people on this planet. And man, they all have died, haven't they? There's only a few that haven't, and that's in, according to Scripture. And that's because God took them away for a certain purpose. But apart from those, those men, everyone dies. You know, mankind is the only creature on earth that knows it's going to die and is trying desperately hard to forget that fact. Because the way men think is, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to know about that stuff because I can't enjoy my day now if I have to think about death. But isn't it funny? We all plan for retirement. We all plan to get old, but we don't plan for the next step. Retirement 20, 30, 40 years, and after that, what happens? We die. And that's, the, to me, that is the most important plan that we should make of all. We should plan for that time. Find out about that time because you're going to be spending a lot more time in that time than in this time. Amen. But for some reason, we block our minds to it. We, we've become dull to it, to eternal matters. Yet throughout all history, men have, have questioned this, have sought to understand this and comprehend this, these questions. What happens once you die. So where do you rest your hope? In these days of uncertainty, where do you rest your hope? The only sure thing in life is death. The only sure thing in life is death. Nothing else is sure except that one thing, that we are going to pass on. Amen? Does it sound like a bit of a morbid sermon at the moment? I'm not all about being morbid, but I do want us to understand that death is a reality and most people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to go there. They don't want to question those things. Just enjoy your life now. Just have fun. Go out and get drunk. You know, forget those things. Get drunk. These days, the kids, you know, go and get high, high as a kite. Forget all that. And these kids are dying because they're, you know, killing themselves young with these drugs. One bad, bat, bat, one bad batch of drugs and how many kids get killed? You know? Death is all around us at all times. Do you rest your hope after death in Muhammad? Do you rest your hope in Buddha or Baha'u'llah? Do you rest your hope rested in science? Can science help you at the doorway of death? The new age, do you rest it in atheism? in the hope that when you die, that's it and there's no more. Do you just hope that? Are you sure? 
Or even do you rest it in yourself for some reason? I can raise myself. Only one man has ever said that and, and accomplished it, and that's Jesus Christ, and that's because he's God. If he wasn't God, he couldn't have said that. He couldn't have said, I will raise myself up after three days, but Jesus said it, and he did. Or do you have so little interest that you say, I'll deal with it when it happens? So many people today say that, I'll deal with it then. I'm not going to worry about it now. I'm not going to let it bring me down now. I'm not going to let it get in the way of my life and the things I want to do now. I don't want to be held accountable to some God. This is the mentality of people today. There's a, a common saying, we all serve the same God. So you join any religion, they're all good. They all end up in the same place. You'll all go to heaven no matter what religion you join. However, the God of Islam they refer to as Allah. However, Allah is not considered a father and he has no son. So he can't be the same God that we serve. 1 John 2.22, let's just quickly turn there. This is how we know the spirit of Islam. By looking to the scriptures, 2, 22 to 23. And it says, who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies who? The Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. So if they deny Jesus Christ as the Son of God, they don't have the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So Islam denies the Father, denies the Son. They don't have either. They don't have God. They, it's an antichrist religion, and that's why it's terrorizing the planet. Hindus worship 330 million gods, plus every cow that walks around the street. Do you remember when we were in Melbourne and we got into a taxi and I said, uh, so what religion are you? And he said, uh, Hindu. And he started telling me that he worships cows. I said, why do you worship cows? He goes, because they provide me milk and butter. I said, well, potatoes provide me potatoes, potato bushes, but I don't bow down and worship a potato bush just because it gives me potatoes. And he sort of looked at me like this, like, what? (laughs) I don't get it. But it's obvious. You don't worship a cow just because it gives you milk. Anyone will tell you you're smarter than a cow. Why do you worship a cow that you're smarter than? You're supposed to worship a, you know, superior God, not an inferior God. Right? So if they worship 330 million gods, which one of those is Jesus and which one of those is the Father? None of them. The Bible tells us that the, that the gods of the nations are demons. That's what the Bible tells us in relation to Hindus. Because Hinduism has been around a very long time. True Buddhism is atheism. Don't anyone tell you any different. True Buddhism is atheism. The original Buddha was an atheist. He didn't believe in any afterlife, so he would have fitted in with many scientists today. The New Age teach that you can all become gods, that we can all become gods. So now you're a god. And then it also teaches you that every tree is a god, that the sun is a god. So we should bow down all these heavenly hosts. And they also teach that you can open up the gate to a Christ consciousness. You can open up to a Christ consciousness. So what they're trying to say is, yeah, we be- when you talk to a new age person, they'll say, yeah, we believe in Jesus in the sense that you can become like him in the sense of becoming, get, gaining his consciousness and gaining his Christness 
if you can understand that. And I find that bizarre. And many people get into the occult and they try to find some spiritual blessing from it. And occult is anything like fortune telling, palm reading, tarot card reading, seances, crystal ball reading, psychic readings, transcendental meditation, astral projection, levitation, etc., etc., etc. Right, there's so many crazy things. But let's see what the Bible says about all that. Isaiah, if we can turn there, 8.19, and it says this. I'll just read it out if you can catch me. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Why do we consult the dead on behalf of the living? Oh, let's ask, you know, Auntie Auntie Jan, who's died, you know, 10 years ago, she can tell us a little bit about the future. Well, could she tell you about the future when she was living? Why do we consult them now about the future when they're dead? It doesn't make sense. The Bible tells us that when you go into those areas, you're dealing with demonic entities. And that's why a lot of people like that get very, very disturbed lives. They have very disturbed lives. And I know from experience not me personally doing it, but people I know who have gone and got their palms read or their fortune told, psych, some psychic reading, it messed their life up big time, you know, because they wanted all those things to become true, you know, in their life, the things that were spoken over them. So just be very, very careful of those kinds of things. Let's go to Leviticus 19.31, and here's a clear command in relation to this. Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists. For you will be defiled. If you want to get defiled, seek out spiritualists. And you know what? Do you know how many Christians today go to fortune tellers that read their, you know, star signs every day in the newspaper? And you know, star, the people that write the star signs are, are just writers that are commissioned to do that. They're not even a lot of the time haven't got any psychic ability at all. They just make it all up. It's not hard. You know, I could easily work on a column doing that sort of stuff if I chose. It's not hard to say, oh, you know, today is going to be a day of blessing. You're going to have an incredible encounter with an amazing person and you're going to see an old friend, you know, and you're going to come into money. And guess what? It's Thursday and your pay arrives in the bank account. Look at that. I came into money. Deceptive views. Scientism. Who's heard of scientism? Scientists who... Are like who are an atheist and they're scientists, they have become uh, what we know them as, as um, part of a group called scientism. It's a view which claims you don't need God or religion, only science. And isn't it strange? They said, you don't need God, you don't need religion, you just need science. And so what does science become? A religion. It becomes their religion, it becomes their view. The Big Bang and macroevolution is their Genesis account. So they think the genesis that we talk about in the Bible is the Big Bang and evolution from that point forward. Time is their God because it requires billions of years of time for things to come into existence. So time is this miracle worker that makes things come into existence, so it's a God. And matter created itself. That's what they'll tell you. Matter created itself because they've got no other explanation. So matter is also a God. And the primordial soup, which is also becomes a god because through it, which through that medium and with time, everything that is was created. So their gods are time, matter, and the primordial soup. And 
incredible amounts of miracles because all the incredible designs of, of, of uh, you know, animals and plants and uh, aquatic creatures and humans and all just climbed out of a primordial soup by chance with a perfect mate that they could procreate with and have more of them. You know what I mean? So science, science is crazy in that way in expecting rational people to believe that. Because you, if you told a little child, did you know once a lizard, a, a bird was a lizard? And I'll say, no, lizards aren't birds. And I'll say, no, once a bird was a lizard. And the lizard slowly over billions of years turned into a bird. They say, no, no, lizards don't turn into birds. Birds are birds. Lizards are lizards. And I wrote something in relation to this. They believe we all descend from apes and that everything evolved from a single-celled amoeba that was created in a primordial soup and the primordial soup just popped into existence for no apparent reason, by mere chance, and they attribute these wondrous miracles to time, lots and lots of time. You need great faith to believe that when science cannot prove it. You need a lot of faith to believe that everything that is just popped into existence by chance. Put your hand up if you believe that. If you believe everything that is just popped into existence by chance. It's very hard to believe. For a lizard to turn into a bird, any child will tell you just does not happen and would be an absolutely astounding miracle if it ever did. If they ever, in a laboratory, saw a lizard change into a bird, it would make front page news. It would be in every scientific journal all around the world. Science has never observed it. It's only an assumption. It's never been observed. You know, um, my brother-in-law is a stem cell researcher and, and there, he claims that everything that is descended from a single-celled amoeba or came from a single sort of amoeba and just added more and more new information until it created all sorts of animals and plants and stuff. I said, hang on, in, in all these years, hundreds and hundreds of years of science, has any scientist ever observed a single celled amoeba becoming anything but a single celled amoeba? And you know what he said? He said, no. I said, so what makes you think it happened? He says, Rob, not hundreds of years, we need billions of years. I said, but wouldn't a single-celled amoeba just die with billions of years? Doesn't time kill things? How come time suddenly becomes this life-giving creation force, this power to create? It just doesn't make sense. But that's what they feed the public, this garbage, these lies, and people swallow it because they don't know any better. And even Christians swallow it because they don't know any better. But you've got to think about what's presented with a rational mind. I don't care how many degrees someone has. If he's going to speak garbage, he's going to speak garbage. Do you know what I'm saying? Just because he's got letters after his name does not make him so intelligent that you're an idiot. And you have no rational sense in your mind to think and reason for yourself. And that's what they try to do. I remember I was told by a scientist... You know, these things are too hard for you to understand. I said, yeah, they are. <laughs> Way too hard. Can you show me any evidence? And he says, Rob, we need billions of years. I can't take you back in time. I said, yeah, so you've assumed it to happen, but did it happen? Long or short, whether it's a billion years for something to happen like that or 10 years, it would be a miracle for it to happen. 
for a lizard to turn into a bird, to, to, for the, its scales to become feathers, for its internal organs to change to the, be the structure of a bird's internal organs, for the heavy-weighted bones of a lizard to become hollow bones of a bird, for those transitions to take place would take an astounding miracle that, in my opinion, only God could perform. Not time, not chance. And I won't read any more of that because I don't want to get too far off what I'm trying to talk about here. What about the biggest cult on earth? In this day, the biggest cult which a good portion of the world run after is our modern culture. Our modern culture, who, who knows? We live in a culture. It's a cult. We are living in a cult society that is teaching us to believe these kinds of lies and they indoctrinate us with TV and with all other media streams constantly bombarding us with this garbage and, and until we just can't even think anymore for ourselves, we just believe what's, what they put on the screen. We're living in a culture. We're being indoctrinated by a culture. Because the Bible tells us that the, the Lord of this planet is Satan. And if he's the God of this planet then we've got to be careful what we view on TV. We've got to be careful what we view in movies, what we look at on the computer, what we read, what books we read. What are they feeding us? What are, what are they indoctrinating us with? Our modern culture teaches us that we are fine doing what we want. Just do what you want. Don't turn to Jesus. Do what you want. Don't consider God because he's not real. He's a figment of your imagination. He's no better than Santa Claus. Just believe and do the things you want to do. Don't let anyone tell you not to have fun because they consider sinning as great fun. The modern culture occupies us completely to the point where we don't think we need Christ. Because we get given everything, especially in the West, we have everything we need, don't we? We've got a full belly every day, morning, noon, and night, we get a full belly. You know, we, we, we're clothed, we have homes, you know, cars, transport jobs, etc., etc. Everything you need to live a comfortable life. We have our struggles. But why do you need God now when you have everything you want? But there is no middle ground. You either believe and follow Jesus Christ or you fall into the arms of this smorgasbord of deceptive religions and philosophies. There's no middle ground. It's Jesus or it's that other stuff, part of that or a mixture of that. You know, now in the postmodern world, there's a real, you know, push that people create the religion they want. They take a little bit of Buddhism. They take a little bit of Christianity. They, they, they become the good person that they believe Christians should be. They, they take on the Buddhism philosophies and the teachings, you know. They, they sort of accept a little bit of Islam because they don't want to get in, you know, press anyone's buttons. So when they come across a Muslim, they can say, yeah, yeah, I believe what you believe. You know, then they also get a little bit, you know, new agey. They add all these things together and they create their own religion. But is that the truth? Where we fashion the religion the way we want it to be? No one will be a fence sitter on Judgment Day. We are either with Jesus or against Jesus. We either follow him wholly or we don't follow him at all. You know, Jesus is going to be, it's going to be the sheep and the goats. The sheep are going to be on his right and the goat will, goats will be on his left. And let me tell you, the goats, there'll be a lot more goats than there are sheep. It's going to be a far greater proportion of 
humanity is going to be on the left of Jesus because Jesus says, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many are on it. But narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Only a few. So only a few of us are going to find Jesus because most of us want to join the broad road. We don't want to sort of be too radical. We don't want to say, look, I'm a completely, totally Jesus-only Christian. We want to blend in. But Jesus will say, you know, you're either for me or against me. You can't be partially for me. He says that, he calls that lukewarm, and he said he's going to spit the lukewarm out of his mouth. He wants to completely, totally committed Christians. And why I tell you this is because why? You're going to be dead soon. You'll be dead soon. And you're going to be facing the judgment. It says once we die, we go straight to the judgment. We, we get judged by God. We get ushered into his presence. And that should put the fear of God in our hearts. And it should make us turn and live for him now. Amen. So if God exists, I believe that he would not have created us and left us without a manual to guide us through this life. And that's what the Bible is. He put this here for us. He gave us a manual. And you know, like most people, when you buy a new you know, computer or something and we get a manual, we don't read it. Who doesn't read manuals? I'm pretty good at that. right? You get it, I can work this out, open it up, get it started. Everything goes wrong and it takes you like days to get it working. Eventually you fall into the hands of the manual, don't you? You just sort of, how do you do it? But you know what? We can't approach life like this. We can't approach eternal matters in that same way. It's this book will give us the keys to life and how, not only the, this life but the next life. He wouldn't have less, left us without a manual to guide us through this life, would he? Because God, if you think about it, if God can create the universe and everything in it, if God can create us and create all the animals and all the plants and create ecosystems so they all ecologically sustain themselves, if God could do that, all those wondrous things, don't you think he could put a book on the planet and keep it from being corrupted? Wouldn't it be an easy matter for God to keep a Bible uncorrupted? I think it is. I think it would be a lot harder to build a planet than it would be to make this book, get this book on the planet. I think it would be a lot harder, don't you reckon? I can write books. I've written three books, That's, you know, but I, I can't build a planet. So what do you stand on when it comes to your eternal life? When it comes to your eternal life, what do you stand on? What's your hope? Who's your hope? Who do you rest your hope on? Do you just blindly hope that if God exists that he will receive you because you're such a good person? Is that, you know, I know I've heard people, I've heard atheists say it. They've argued against God. They've told me how much if God does exist, he's a horrible, hate, hateful God and all this sort of garbage. And then he says, however, if God does exist and I get ushered into his presence on judgment day, I'm going to be accepted for the good deeds that I've done. Romans 3.10. Let's just turn there. I'll get you to go there, but I... I we could just say it from memory. Romans 3.10, it says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. And that's all I read of that. There is no one righteous, not even one. You know, I know I'm not righteous. Who, who believes that they've lived an unrighteous life to the most part? We've, are, are we good people? Do we try to do good things? Yeah. 
I try to do good things, but do you think we're going to be a, that's going to override the bad things that we do in life? You know, as I've said many times in this church, you know, someone who goes and commits murder, a heinous crime like murder, and then doesn't get busted, but for 10 or 20 years after that does nothing but good deeds, good deeds every day, good deeds, good things. For 20 years, do you think when the, when the law finally catches up with him and the judge has him in his court that the judge is going to say, oh, you've done 20 years of good deeds. Ah, oh, okay, don't worry about it. We'll just ignore that bad crime. Do you think that's how it would be on Judgment Day for us? We've done bad things, amen? We've done good things. I'm not saying you're terribly wicked people, but there has been things that we've done that we know we shouldn't have done. And these things are the things that God wants to deal with us on. And that is the reason why Jesus Christ had to come and lay his life down because basically what, what we deserved was what he got. What he was punished with is what we deserve for the crimes that we've committed. You know, if you add them together, they, if you imagine if I did this on this screen right here and I said, Andrew, I'm going to play on this screen your entire life, all the hidden things that you don't want anyone to know about and I'm going to play that on the screen. Do you think Andrew would hang around? <laughs> He'd be gone. <laughs> He'd be running. Because we, we've lived, you know, we've done some shocking things, but God can cover them all up by his blood and forgive you for every last thing that you've ever done. All we need to do is turn to him, and all we need to do is repent as well. There is no other way. John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the way, he's the truth and the life, and no one gets into heaven except through Jesus Christ. We must walk as disciples of Christ to receive eternal life. Let's look at 1 John 2, 6. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. If you claim to be Christian, you must walk as Jesus walked. If you don't walk the way he walked, then that's a testimony to yourself. It testifies that you're not Christian. You must walk the life he walked. Jesus laid down his life on earth for our sins so that we can be forgiven and live forever. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but receive eternal life. And that's all it is. You just believe in Jesus, receive him into your life, and let it turn you and change you to become like him. And that's where we, and also, however, we've got to add to that if we're going to, we've got to go to John 3.17 and we better turn there because most of us might not know this one from memory. John 3.16. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to earth to condemn us. He came, and it says here, to save the world through him. So whoever believes in him, is not condemned. So if you believe in him, and that belief is a key word because it means to turn and hand your life over to him through belief. If you believe in him, you're not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. You know, if you don't believe in Jesus for your eternal life, who will you believe in and who, what is your hope? What other hope is there? There is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ. I know of none. I've studied them all. I know of none. There is no other name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. 
Amen? No other name. So we must repent. Luke 13, 3, and it says this, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will perish. Unless you repent, you will perish. And the, just on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting, uh, God gave me this explanation for repentance. Repentance is to stop living life our own way and to live life Christ's way, following the Scriptures. That's all repentance means. Stop living it the way you think you should live it and start living it the way Jesus says to live it. The first thing you'll know is it's very contrastive, two different lifestyles. You're no longer living it and doing the things you want. Suddenly you do it the way Christ tells you to do it in the Scriptures. But not just that, you'll find that way is a far better way and once you're living it and you're completely walking in it, you will never want to ever go back to the way you used to live it before. Who knows what I'm talking about is true. There's no better way to live life except in Christ. And then the other added blessing to that is when you go on from this life, when you die, you go to live with him forever and ever and ever in eternity. You're guaranteed an eternal inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. And what a beautiful thing that is to be guaranteed that. All we have to do is live life Christ's way, not the way we think we should live it. Amen? 1 John 1, 8 to 10. 1 John 1, 8 to 10, it says this, If we claim to be without sin, if we claim to have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you claim you don't have sin, the truth isn't in you. If we confess our sins, he, which is Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. So don't claim you don't sin because then you make Jesus out to be a liar. You don't want to try to turn it on Jesus and say, you're a liar, I'm, no, I'm not a sinner. And if that's the case, his word has no place in our lives. And that's a sad place to be. 1 John 2, 3 to 6, stay where you are, just go forward to 2, 3 to 6. It says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. See, if you come to, a, if you come to a know Jesus, you will obey his commands. That will be the fruit. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked or Jesus did. If we claim to be Christian, walk as a Christian. And this is the problem, and I've, I've said this many times in this church, with Christianity, Christianity today in the West, is we claim to be Christian, yet we sin like the heathen. We live contrastive lives. We don't, we don't live the life Christ lives. So when you meet the Christian, you just think, gee, they're, they're nothing like I expected them to be. I expect a Christian to be a holy man of God, full of love, full of grace. But we prove to be completely opposite to that. And that's a sin of the church that must be repented of by the church en masse. Even us, if, if we live as a Christian life, I know I'm always repenting of things that I do in my current life. Even now, now that I'm you know, living as, as in Christ the way I do. 
So we must repent of these things. But this is the final screen. So choose today where you want to be, either in heaven or hell. As the Bible says, there's only two places that a man goes to after, after he dies. And as it is appointed men once to die, but after this to face judgment, we will face judgment. And then Jesus and God, the Father, and the two of them will make a decision. This creation that I created, this, this person that I fashioned out of the earth, is he worthy of entering into the kingdom of heaven? Has he followed me? Does he love me with all his heart? Does he live by my commands? Or has he rejected me and hated me and turned from me and, and walked in the opposite direction? Guys, there's no other hope. There is no other hope on this planet. There is no other name given to men by which we must be saved. Amen. Lord, I just ask you right now just to uh, work in all our hearts. And Lord, sermons like this I do regularly because I feel we need to hear it. We need to get back to the roots of our faith and understand, you know, just what, who we are in you just what you've done for us, just where we, we need to be uh, and how we're meant to be transformed and changed to walk after you, walk after the Spirit. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to completely hand our lives over to you and, uh, and devote our life to you completely. Lord, let, let what I've said today just cause us to do an inquiry, just to say, okay, I'll just give Rob the benefit of the doubt for the moment. Let me do some study. Let me do some research. Let me find out if what he's saying is in fact true. Let me, let me read the Bible and find out if the word actually says what Rob was teaching today. And is there really a hope in Jesus Christ? And can I rest my hope in Jesus Christ on my deathbed? And has his name the power to keep me alive for eternity? So, Lord, I just pray that you'll work in us and cause each and every one of us here to walk after you with, with all our heart, to live for you and to walk in you, to uh, be representatives of, of you on this planet. And, Lord, let us not be fake. Let us not uh, um, bring shame to your name, but let us bring glory to your name by the way that we live our life. So, Lord, I just pray that you do a deep work in each and every one of us now. Uh, bless us this week. Cover us in your precious blood and give us a wonderful week. I pray uh, keep us safe and protected as we travel uh, and bring us safely back together next Sunday. And I pray this in your wonderful week. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine, and end times. Feel free to check them out.